Welcome to episode 9 of Out on a Limb. I'm Alina. I'm a certified orthotist and board-eligible prosthetist. And I'm Alyssa. I'm also a certified orthotist and board-eligible prosthetist. We started Out on a Limb to bring the world of orthotics and prosthetics to everyone and share our passions. Stay tuned to learn the ins and the outs of a small side of the medical field and everything we do as practitioners. This episode, we have Eric Neufield to talk with us about Range of Motion Project, also known as ROMP. Today we have Eric with us to tell us a little about ROMP, a range of motion project. So before we get into that, Eric, why don't you just give us a little bit about your background, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, sure. Sorry. No, that's, that's a, it's a good intro. Um, so uh, yeah, I, uh, my name's Eric Neufeld and I'm a certified prosthetist and orthotist and I run Agile Orthopedics, which is a mobile prosthetic and orthotic practice out in Colorado. Uh, in 2005, along with a friend of mine, we started the Range of Motion Project, ROMP, which is a nonprofit organization serving amputees throughout the developing world with prosthetic services. So that started in 2005. It's been going for quite a while now. Didn't realize you guys have been around for that long. Um, how did you guys get started? Like what made you decide that this is what you guys wanted to do? So we actually got to know each other and start this during our residency with a, a wonderful company in Chicago. Um, this friend of mine who's, who's an amputee himself and uh, you know we were given these projects to work on. These patients would come, we, we had a connection, the company, I should say, had a connection with a nonprofit that was local to Chicago and Northwest Indiana. They would occasionally bring an amputee from Guatemala to be seen by us um, for their prosthesis. And so they would go through a lot of trouble and expense to bring people over, stay for like a month or something, get their prosthesis, train a little bit, and then get them back home um, to, to their life. And so we became pretty close with this organization. And ultimately, um, you know, they said for, for every one we bring, every one person we bring, we're saying no to like thousands of people. Wow. And if you had any interest in ever doing something, <laughs> we could set you up with some infrastructure, you know, and space and it's kind of like a little network to build in this rural area of Guatemala. And then we went there for a week and kind of checked it out and spent mm -hmm. some time with this organization and the community there. And it just was like life-changing, amazing, just powerful experience and met lots and lots of amputees there, you know, zero resources, zero opportunity for prosthetics their entire lives. Some people living with amputation for such a long time, which is just ridiculous. You know, it's like, right. we've yeah. got the solution. It's not like a, <laughs> like a disease we don't have the cure for. We know exactly what you need. Um, right. And so, you know, this is a very long story, but to make it short, the company, <laughs> the company we worked for that we were doing our residency through, it's called Sheck and Cyrus. It's this great, huge Midwestern yeah. company. Yeah. They, um, the owners were aware that we were exploring this and decided to donate all the equipment we would need to start a lab and money, like plenty of money that they wow. set us up with. Everything oh. takes money, right? To travel yeah. and to, you know, kind of like get us started the seed money and then the oven and the grinders and the, the, everything that we needed, they gave us. 
Wow. And it was kind of like, all right, guys. So it's, my partner in this, his name's Dave Krupa. So it was like, all right, Eric and Dave, if you're willing to do this, like we're going to support you. We'll help you do this. We believe in this too. We're going to support you, but you know, you guys have to put the time and effort in getting established as a 501c3 nonprofit and kind of all the legal things you need to do and the accounting things. And then, uh, you know, the model, how is this going to work? How are you going to fundraise and keep it sustainable? Um, and so the goal is always sustainability, but we just had, you know, you don't do anything in life alone. And we certainly didn't do this alone. We had a lot of support um, mm -hmm. from this company we were with. And then, you know, the, the community in general was very supportive of this. And then over the years, it just has grown into something way bigger than I ever imagined. Um, you know, but the beginnings of it was just grit and just really, really hustling and committing to it you know it was it was at the time neither of us had uh, had family or owned house right you know things that do take kind of all that out of work time so yeah. we'd be up every night every weekend this is what we were doing we're getting romp going and we traveled a lot to Guatemala at the time also the company supported us in going very frequently um, right. again to like really get roots deep uh, in that community and that's that's exactly what we did had you done any other trips besides you know this first time going to guatemala any other mission trips for prosthetic and orthotics yeah i had done one other trip with the icrc which is the international committee for the red cross um to a couple of different areas in nicaragua uh, hmm. and then dave my partner that i mentioned um, had also done some work in haiti and pakistan following uh, the earthquake Ooh. there so wow. we both had a little bit of experience Mm -hmm. um, but not not tons. Okay. And you mentioned Guatemala. Are there any other places or countries that you guys go to or have romp set up in, or is it just Guatemala that you mainly go back and forth to? Uh, so Zacapa, Guatemala is where our kind of flagship uh, facility is, and okay. now we we own land there and we built like a really really amazing uh, clinical center mm -hmm. there, gate training center, fabrication center. Um, and so that's, and there's a, there's seven full-time employees that work there and operate that full-time, um, wow. you know, throughout the year. We have infrastructure and a small staff and programs in Quito, Ecuador and Chiapas, Mexico. And then we also have programming in the United States, um, okay. a lot here in Colorado and Chicago, just because that's kind of where our networks are, but, mm -hmm. um, seeing amputees in need there who don't have resources, um, you know, mainly through citizenship status and a variety of other things, but we do have programming in the United States as well. Wow, didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, how did you guys get, I mean, you kind of explained how you got that flagship in Guatemala. How did you guys get the connections in Ecuador and Mexico? Um, so I think as, as Romp grew and the, this network grew, uh, we just kind of became intertwined uh, a lot of it happened through the school in uh, el salvador there's a OMP school in el salvador oh. and so there was some connections based there ecuador though i'll tell you my partner ended up meeting his wife um or his ex-wife at this point but there, at that time it was she was a translator on one of the trips and he ended up moving to ecuador and you know created some infrastructure there and, and began the program there we did find that Quite a few patients were coming from a long distance, uh, 
to go to the clinic in Guatemala, like days long trips. Wow. And um, a central area seemed to be Chiapas, Mexico, that we just by analyzing our patients, which is something that I, I, I do here also. Right. It's kind of like heat mapping, where are your people? Where? Right. <laughs> um, you know, we identified these areas that uh, we could serve and so created some partnerships that allowed us to, um, you know, start clinics and traveling and, and meeting patients in these areas, these very remote areas that were you know, primarily coming to us. Uh, so instead we developed systems to meet them on their terms. Very cool. <laughs> you mentioned that you have like a full setup in Guatemala. Are a lot of the people in the States who work for ROMP, is it mainly volunteer? Do you have like a full board now? How does it sort of work to get involved or to work for ROMP? We do have several employees, you know, there's um, a woman who's the director of development and then there's an operational director and our, our like um, overall general director, CEO type of person. And then we do have a volunteer board of directors, which we've had for many years, um, not the same people, but um, always a board of directors that are overseeing the organization that the staff is accountable to that really kind of um, move fundraising forward and make right. just make big decisions kind of thing through strategy and um, you know decision making like that um, but tons of volunteers um, raising money raising awareness uh, throughout throughout the country throughout the world actually yeah so big big volunteer base um, a big part of that is driving donations of stuff of things mm -hmm. prosthetic components um, it's a huge piece of the organization, a huge need um, that we're always trying to meet and grow. Yeah. Um, so small staff, lots of volunteers. And mm -hmm. I think our board of directors is about nine, nine people right now oh, okay. wow. from various backgrounds and expertise. Okay. And you said, you, you know, you have that main base in Guatemala. Do they service people there year round at that main base? Yes, that is a year-round, sustainable, always open, follow-up, everything uh, type of operation. I mean, that, that was what we were committed to. There are a number of organizations that do, I guess what I call like a parachute style, where you come in for a week and just right. go for it and fit as many people as you can and then, you know, come back some other time. And so, right. which is, I mean, meeting any need is, is great. So definitely no criticism there. But the style we were going for was a much more sustainable, full-time, forever type of commitment. And um, so we went through a lot of training. Um, the staff has been there a long time. This is like a very talented, great staff, talented prosthetist and support team. Um, so it's very much like like a kind of a, an American style clinic. Um, there's there's no insurance um, to deal with, but in terms of like the model itself and you know, the clinical model is very similar to what we all do every day. And over there, do because you, you said you have this large room and walking room and training and gate and all that stuff. Do you, are there physical therapists there as well that work with the patients? Yes, there, we don't have any physical therapists that are on our staff, but there are physical therapists in the community that are involved and the physical therapy school, the, the graduate program uh, rotates through the clinic as well. So there are always students and supervisors and, you know, a variety of, of physical therapists and that type of support that are coming through and OT as well. How often do you and your partner or other practitioners from the States go over to, you know, Mexico, Ecuador, or Guatemala? 
Well, I mean, right now, zero <laughs> following uh, right, with COVID, COVID <laughs> unfortunately. But um, before that, we had uh, eight programs a year, or up to actually, I think ten programs a year. So ten times a year, wow. a team of twenty, twenty-five people would go to support the staff in Guatemala. Kind of like two sides of it to for your own experience to learn to get a good international interesting experience right but to support and continue cross training and like back and forth training with the staff there so maybe they had a very tricky case uh, bilateral shoulder disarticulation or something mm -hmm. like that wow. where maybe somebody from the states we could recruit um to come and take care of that and provide some training for future cases like that that then the guatemalan staff could handle uh, we recently did that over the last two years we've been introducing uh, microprocessor technology because we do get a lot of wow. Uh, donations of microprocessor needs and so which are worthless if you don't know how to set them up and program right. and align them yeah. <laughs> and so we were able to get uh, practitioners specifically for that for microprocessor training and so now there are a lot of amputees in Guatemala with microprocessor needs um, because wow. of that just as an example of mm -hmm. like a very specific targeted um, group and some are more general just general experience and then some are university groups um, so from mm -hmm. the OMP schools um, that send teams each year just for outreach and, you know, kind of this alternate learning environment, and, you know, patient exposure. And you mentioned that a lot of the components and things are donated. What about the materials that you use to make the sockets, to do the straps, all of those things? Are those all donated as well? Um, do you have to purchase anything we to provide to, those services? Yeah. We do. We provide all of those things and we source them all locally. So plastics oh, okay. and textiles, things like that are all sourced locally and, okay. you know, processed, whether it's, you know, making a, a large sheet of leather into mm -hmm. straps or something like that. So we definitely, you know, that's the direction that's gone. But, so we don't generally get donations of that sort. It's more on the component side, liners, knees, feet pylons, adapters, like those, those things, which you know from purchasing these are extremely right. valuable. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you guys have a process to go through to kind of check all of these components that are donated and see if they are still viable, still usable? We do. We have, um, actually, that goes back to one of your earlier questions. I forgot about <laughs> our U.S. We do have someone on the staff in the U.S. that's our warehouse manager, and she, along with some volunteers that she works with, um, they catalog, process, and inspect every single component that comes in. So this is like an amazing warehouse that we have where everything is just super organized, um, you know, to the point where if a team is coming down, the Guatemalan staff will send a list of like, okay, here are the 20 patients, here's what they need. We've measured them for liners, we've measured them for feet, let's fulfill this order. And so it's it's tight, like it's a really <laughs> tight operation, which has evolved over years. It wasn't always like that. Um, but, you know, it's very frequent that we do get people just cleaning out the closet, you know, and so we may get... 10 boxes and we're all excited here's like a thousand pounds of donations and like 70 percent of it is you know a single shoe with a list on it and um, you, you know like garbage yeah, um, yeah. We'll, we'll take it all because also down in the bottom of there is like a microprocessor knee deep down <laughs> so um cool. some it, it's a big job and it's a hard job to process all of that but we mm -hmm. we definitely do and that's a necessary thing to make it all work you gotta dig for the gold in those boxes. Yeah, a little treasure treasure hunting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
have you been able to do or have you worked with anyone who's able to kind of do research on sustainable resources, ways to sort of repurpose or reuse things, not even just components, because obviously you are reusing those, but the actual materials and things that we use every day, um, people go through a lot of it. It's very wasteful. And when you're trying to do something in like a non-for-profit or in a budget, have you been able to find ways to reuse or create something, I guess? There's a, not in a really meaningful way just yet, Mm -hmm. but we are engaged with research right now um, in looking more and more or using more and more 3D printing. And there's a project right now where we, we, I had nothing to do with it, but the group that we're working with developed um, a method to take garbage, like like, uh, discarded um, soda bottles and water bottles, that kind of plastic grind it up using a bicycle and a grinder and then making that into filaments which is used and that's the substrate for 3d printing and then you know printing sockets from that so Mm -hmm. literally recycling garbage into it yeah really like classic o and p materials but looking looking even further than that at different models um, that may be able to work so you know we're able we're able to do that we're able to look for funding and grants that um, can help support that kind of research and those mm-hmm. projects, which is really fun. I mean, that stuff, I think in the States, we just, it's really hard to find that kind yeah. of time, yeah. that kind of those resources. And so we're able to have those kind of projects going on in Ecuador and Guatemala. Um, mm-hmm. We have four or five 3D printers in the organization, um, always trying to develop different things. But the one with the, you know, the bottles into filament, into sockets is like so fascinating. Thinking about garbage into legs. And yeah, like right. Like, holy cow. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's an exciting part of it. But you're, you're right. I mean, in our field, we do generate a lot of waste. And mm-hmm. um, it, it would be great to continue to try and figure out how to reuse and recycle things that we're using in the lab. Yeah. So at these clinics when you guys go, you know, or back when you were going about 10 times a year, um, were you getting repeat patients or was it once you saw them, you fed the advice, they learned how to walk and they walked out your door? Did you ever see them on a future visit or was it kind of you just saw them that once and hope they did well? Some, certainly some don't make it back. They can't, you know, there's some limitations in resources that there's just not, they're not able to, but the majority there, we maintain contact with them just like we do here and have regular scheduled follow-ups. And certainly if it's a patient you saw the previous year, like there's an effort to be made to reach out and get them back in just, just to kind of reconnect, but also see if there's anything that they need or, you know, anything that needs to be repaired or upgraded or whatever. So certainly there's an effort to be ongoing, sustainable, again, kind of American style. Right. Right. Which I think is really cool because like you said, a lot of the trips that I've heard about or have been involved in, it is sort of like a parachute thing. So you do get to see a lot of people in one day and help people, but then it kind of stops there for a lot of them until they can make it back to the clinic or they either outgrow it or something happens. So it's neat that you've been able to come up with a way to be able to continue servicing those patients if they're able to return. Yeah, I mean, one, one fascinating thing is over the last, I'd say, five years, 
it's like all of these patients now are on Facebook and, and text message. So even in the, you know, these very rural jungle areas of Guatemala, people have cell phones and people have Facebook. And, uh, <laughs> it's so it's like so cool to be connecting with patients you see there in one context. And then you're like, you know, on Facebook social media. It's yeah. like, oh, this is so, we are <laughs> so able to maintain connection. It's, it's like awesome. I mean, that is like one, there are lots of not great things about how available and pervasive social media is, but that's right. one it's just like <laughs> so cool to maintain. It's the positive side of social media. Yeah. With COVID going on right now, I know you guys, you mentioned that you guys aren't really doing trips and travel, which makes sense, but has anything stateside changed due to COVID-19? Like, are you guys still getting donations? We are still getting donations and we're still soliciting donations. So that, that program, and maybe we could link to it somehow, it's called Components for a Cause, where there's a bit of a list of like high, you know, these, these are what the, the needs we have. Here's how we'd request receiving it and um, if any documentation is required or whatever. But no, that, that never stops. And we have continued to receive, you know, really generous and donations from groups that maybe are down in patient care and using this time to reorganize or clean out or whatever. And we all have that box of liners and you know, feet and yeah. stuff like that. Right. Um, they, they can be used. Like they're so valuable. It, it's crazy. Pins <laughs> for locks and I mean, all that stuff is so expensive. Um, and so we've been able to do quite a bit uh, through donations rather than having to purchase. To finish it up a little bit, do you kind of mentioned this before, but you don't necessarily have to be in the medical field or in orthotics and prosthetics in order to be able to volunteer or to help if you wanted to get involved. Um, what would be the easiest way to do that? Yeah, it's true. You definitely do not have to be an orthotist or a prosthetist um, to be helpful uh, stateside and in general, there, there's always a need for fundraising, raising awareness, and there are lots of creative ways to do that. You know, these kind of moving for romp type things where you mm -hmm. uh, do a triathlon or run or, I don't know, pogo <laughs> stick, like anything really counts just as a kind of an effort to raise some awareness through your own, through your own movement, through your own mobility. Um, you know, moving forward, <clears throat> pardon me, this um, components for a cause, campaign is a very important way to do it and then traveling with the organization once we could do that um, anybody's welcome to come there's always something uh, for somebody willing and able and interested in helping to do there's no shortage of uh, you know things that that are available to somebody who wants to help so certainly anybody who connects with the organization with a mission for whatever reason uh, there's a place for them to volunteer and, and provide some help and if someone wanted to, do they reach out to you on social media or on Romp, or is there a special email that they should be able to get in touch with someone to try and volunteer? Yeah, rompglobal.org is the website. That's the place to go, and it's organized really well. Um, and there are, are lots of links on you would be able to dial in exactly how how you'd like to be involved. I think there's mm -hmm. a, you know a, a tab that says get involved you know something very, it's very, very clear click here uh you click here to learn about the various ways to get involved but certainly anybody could also reach out to me personally i'd be happy to you know uh, be the liaison there and, and help figure it out perfect and currently what is romp's biggest need is it volunteers components money people's time 
components and money continue to, there will never be too much of either of those um, <laughs> to help move the mission forward and, and reach the people that need it. So, you know, we've been, we're 15 years now and we have provided 5,000 um, prostheses to people in need, which wow. is a really big number because That's, these yeah. are, every single one is custom made just like we do in our own labs and our own practices, like the real, the real deal. Um, and so there's, for every 5,000 though, there's another 5,000 lining up and there really is no shortage. You know, 80% of amputees living in the developing, live in the developing world and only 2% of them have access to these kinds of services. So wow. the, need is, the need is huge. Mm -hmm. And one thing, one thing that my, my partner in this, Dave, has like to say is that amputees remain disabled, not because of a missing limb, but because of a missing prosthesis. And so we're talking about like distribution. Again, mm -hmm. we know the yeah. solution to this problem. Right. Um, we just have to get it out there. Um, so long answer, components and money uh, are needs that never, never end. Awesome. Well, we will put links to all of that stuff that you talked about down in the show notes. So if any of you Thanks. listeners need anything, just look below. And thank you for joining us and answering all our questions today. We appreciate it. Well, yeah. thanks, for, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it and, and the interest in having me on. So thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, we want to get Romp out there and more well-known. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Thank you. Special thanks to Eric Newfield for talking with us today. See the show notes for links to Romp's social media pages. Please follow us on Instagram at outonalimb.pc and Facebook at Outonalimb Podcast to get visuals for each episode and sneak peeks for upcoming ones. You can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. And please subscribe and write a review. You can also email us any questions or comments about what you would like to hear at outonalimb.pc at gmail.com. For today's episode, music was by Evan and Jack, produced by Alyssa, Alina, and Brittany, editing by Michael, and sponsored by Open, Orthotic and Prosthetic National Network. <laughs>